Well, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 13 tonight. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at one of Jesus' parables. And I really enjoy this. You know, I enjoy reading the parables of Christ and just the different things that He talks about and the messages He's trying to get across. And then once again, too, you know, sometimes it's good just to kind of think about these things. And um, I, I preached this message. It was, it was, I think, the very last message I preached when I was over at Lighthouse. And, you know, one of the things that you always wonder about, and nobody can really know for sure. I don't think any of us are necessarily experts on this or can be, but have you ever just wondered, you know, during a church service, who all is saved in there? You know, if the Lord were to return, uh, you know, how noticeable would it be in many churches today? And a lot of times we think, well, hey, you know, we're a fundamental Baptist church. I mean, we preach salvation by grace through faith. We got our doctrine straight. We know what we're talking about. But that doesn't mean anything. Because one of the things that we see all the time that's very common is church members getting saved. That happens all the time. People, you know, they, they thought they were saved. Uh, maybe they'd made a profession before, but later they realized they had, they had a profession and not a possession. And they knew that they were lost. And for years, they thought they were okay and later they weren't saved. It's like, well, what if the Lord would have come the week before that? They would have been left behind? And the truth is, if they weren't saved, yes. And boy, it can really make you just, it can really be scary sometimes when you think about that. You know, who is saved and who's not saved. And, you know, I said, I've thought about that many times. You know, people that I've, that have been a part of my church that I've gone to church with, you know, they they hold a special place in my heart. We are we're family. We are spiritual family. That sometimes, maybe even most of the time, almost beats biological family. I mean, I don't know about you all, but you know, there's biological family sometimes. And I'm not talking about my wife or kids or any you know real close family like that. But sometimes you're just like, man, you know. You don't like them very much. I mean, they just drive you crazy. I don't know if it's because they're family or what, but I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie. There's been a few church members in the past that you know that I've wanted to strangle, maybe. But uh, there's been a lot more family, probably, when you consider the numbers or percentages. Uh, usually, the real family, but I mean, the spiritual family—they're very important, uh, and especially too when. Um, you know, when you are a pastor or an assistant pastor, and you're, you know, that's just kind of your life, that the church and the house of God. Um, there, there's something about that closeness there. When you work with somebody, that brings you closer. Um, when it just whether even if, when it's, if it's just on a job, working in the church, it brings you close to people, and you can't help but just love them and love them a lot, and. Um, and when you think about you know who is saved, and the, or to think that some of these people that you love and you care for very deeply might not be saved, it can be very concerning. And I talk about this all the time and try to practice it. But you know when it comes to everything, we always want to have a Bible answer for things. And I remember I was thinking about it one time. You know, based on the Bible, you know how many people do I think? You know, part of the church here, or my my former church, or even just most fundamental Bible believing Baptist churches, do I really think are saved? 
If somebody was to ask me, hey, you know, out of everybody in this room tonight, who all do you think is saved? Well, I mean, you know, I sure hope everybody is. I think everybody is. I mean, as far as I know, we've got professions across the board in here. I have no reason to doubt anybody. That's definitely what I think and what I hope. But if I was to take the Bible and look at what the Bible says, and when we're having, they say on next Sunday morning, and let's say there's 40 or 50 people that are here, and I was to have to guess, and there was some way that we could, you know, confirm it. I mean, if there was some, if God gave us that ability somehow to definitely know who's saved and not saved, then I had to guess what percentage. And there was money involved. You know, I was betting money. I know, I know this is an impossible situation. But in a situation like that, I would have to go with what I really thought based on the Bible. And I would probably say based on the Bible, and this might sound terrible, I'm going to show you why when we read the Scriptures, I'm going to say probably half. And you think, what? I mean, what do you, I mean, how low do you think of your people? And it's not that. It's based on what the Bible says. For example, if you all were to ask me next year, you know, who do I think is going to win the World Series? The Cubs, they're going to win the World Series. All right, well, that's who I hope is going to win the World Series. But if I was going to put money on it, there's absolutely no way that I would do that. If the Cubs were in the World Series, I I would not put money on them winning the World Series if I had to do it. I would put money on the other team because the Cubs are known for choking. I mean, history proves it. It's been over 100 years now. 105 since they've won a World Series. I would, I would have to do that. And if I was to have to put a number on that, Based on what the Bible says, I'd say it'd probably be close to half. And I want to look at some scriptures and then tell you why I say that. And that doesn't mean, and listen, I'm not saying that I think half of you in here today aren't even saved. I'm not saying that at all. I'm trying to get a point across to you based on what I see in the Bible that I think it is very possible that in most churches today, and I'm talking about the good churches, I'm talking about ones that are preaching the Gospel, that it could very well be half. That if I was to put money on it, I'd say half. Probably not a whole lot more than that. And so, it's not because... Well, let's go. we're going to go into the story here. Parable of the Wheat and Tares. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. And it says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Right here we see the parable of the wheat and the tares. God's you know, the far, the farmer there he sows good seed but an enemy comes in and he sows tares among the wheat 
And as those, as they, after those wheat and the tares, they grew, they noticed something after the fruit came from there. I'm not a farmer. I've looked at pictures and things of wheat and tares, but they say that at first it's hard to tell the difference between a wheat and a tare unless you know you're really good. You're not going to know the difference. It's not until they go and start to spring forth fruit then you can tell. And they and it's often used to talk about Christians. A lot of times the Bible says, by your fruits ye shall know them. There's people that are going to come into churches that do produce good fruit. And then there's some that come. They say they're saved. They say that they love God. And they do nothing but cause problems and do a great deal of evil. They have evil fruit. A corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. Neither can a uh, good tree bring forth corrupt fruit. And so we see it by the fruits. But it, before that, it's tough to tell. And eventually we find out, but, at this, but when it comes to the present, when it comes to the today, the day that we're living in, we don't know for sure. So why would I think that maybe half of the people in churches today are lost? Well, first of all, it's, it's not because they're not hearing the Gospel. I tell you, I've seen many times in churches... Uh, I know of one particular church where the pastor was preaching one night, and I can't—I don't remember the whole story how it went, but I mean, there it was a big church. But before it was all said and done, there were several hundred of the people in that church that got saved. Church members, I mean, people that were in the choir, Sunday school teachers that got saved, that realized they were not saved. It was. I know at this church it wasn't because they weren't hearing the gospel. They were hearing the gospel at this church. It wasn't because it's not because these churches don't have very good pastors. These churches, many of them. I mean, they do. They've got good pastors that love their people, that pray for their people, that care about their people. But sometimes, what Satan he can deceive people, and it's not because there's not good people in that church. These churches are full of good people doing things right, living right. They're good examples. And I tell you, I definitely don't think that half the people in churches today aren't saved based on the individuals. I tell you, I, I love the people in our church. I enjoy, I enjoy them very much. And as far as everything that what I can tell, you know, I, I think they're saved. If I don't think somebody's saved, you know, I, I like to try to talk to them about it and try to find out their testimony and hear about when they got saved. I, I like to get testimonies from people. I like hearing that because it comforts me when I hear people telling about when they got saved. When they can't really give a testimony, it concerns me. Because as much as I want people to come here to church, I would feel like the failure of the universe if they were to come to church here for several years, and then we get to heaven and they're not there. And that's the most that's the most important thing. But it's because of what the Bible says that I have to say that in churches today that there probably are many, many people that are lost. And first of all, in first John chapter two, verse nineteen. I want to read a verse to you there. First John two nineteen. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Notice here, okay, this is John, the beloved disciple talking. 
He said, hey, we had people go out from us. John you know, started many churches. I believe those seven churches in Asia that he wrote to, he started those churches. John, I mean, I just think he probably was a really good pastor. I mean, this is a guy that walked with Jesus, that was close to Jesus, the beloved disciple. I mean, you would think if anybody could look out at his congregation and peg who was saved and who wasn't saved, it would be John for sure. But John said, you know what? We had some among us that went out from us. And they went out from us because they weren't one of us. But he said that they went out that it might be manifest so we would know, so we could see that fruit that came from it. And he's like, now we know. Now after the fact, we know these people never were one of us. They couldn't tell when they were singing in the choir. They couldn't tell when they were you know, giving their testimony and when they were teaching a Sunday school class or you know, whatever was going on, whenever they were amending the service, you couldn't tell by everything that was going on, it appeared that these people weren't saved or that they were saved, but they weren't. And this happened in John's church. And I just have to think that if it can happen in John's church, it could definitely happen in mine. And once again, you know, don't think I'm trying to tell anybody in here that I'm not looking at anybody and saying, I don't think you're saved. Okay, based on everything I know and feel, I think different. But based on what the Bible says, it's clear that there's going to be people that are going to be among us, that are going to be a part of us, that aren't going to be of us. It happened in John's church. And also, we know that the tares, they're going to be where the saved are at. The Bible says the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. Now, why would you go and sow, if you're going to deceive, why would you sow tares in a place where there was no wheat? Okay, for example, you know, there's some groups out there and some churches out there that I think it would probably be really safe to say that in maybe 1% is saved. Why would you sow tares among that, that place? Some say that the tares is the false religions, that because there are so many churches out there that those are the tares, and that that could apply too. But I personally think when Satan comes in and he's going to sow tares among the wheat, he's going to do it in the place where the most wheat's at. He's going to do it in the place where there are saved people. And so the Bible says that the enemy does it where the wheat are at. And I personally think that there are saved people here. So why would this place not be a target for the devil? If we've got saved people here, then we are just prime candidates for a place where the devil is going to come along and he's going to try to sow tares. Now, if we, if I'd started a charismatic rock and roll church, I wouldn't have had to worry about that. Okay, because there's probably not going to be too many saved people there. Satan doesn't need to mess with us. We're not doing anything that's going to hurt his kingdom. And but he does it where the saved are at, and I believe we have saved people here, and so we've we're kind of a target now. We're gonna. I mean, I'm telling you, the more we start doing good, the more people's lives that start getting changed, the more problems or more things that are going to happen. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know where it comes from, but you know, I I do. I preach against alcohol. I men I mention alcohol quite a bit. I, I think it's garbage. I think it's wicked. Based on what the Bible says, but you know, you know what I find all the time in our yard out here, beer cans. Okay, now I don't think it's anybody that comes here to the church, but I don't know if it's just getting out. Hey, that preacher over there, he's against beer. Let's throw beer cans in the yard. I don't know if they're doing it just because this is a random church. But there was there was a whole bunch of them the other day, and I'm like, 
And I think I had just preached some stuff on beer, but I'm thinking about who was in the crowd. I'm like, there's nobody in that crowd that would go and throw beer cans here. Maybe somebody's listening online. I don't know. But you know, but maybe the devil just puts it in their heart. And that kind of thing's gonna happen. I remember my dad's church. Uh, you know, as we started to grow there, things started happening. When we they built the new auditorium, one day we show up out there and all the front windows have been busted out. Uh, not long after that, we go out there and the window on our church bus was broken. And I mean, other things happened. One time I went out there to get the bus ready to go and somebody decided right next to the church bus was a good place to go to the bathroom. And it was just absolutely disgusting. And it's like, you know, and you know, honestly, I we don't want the world to know this, but I mean, you know, when they start going after you for stuff like that, for people like us, it's kind of a badge of honor. Okay, when dirtbags have a problem with you, hey, you know, bring it on. You know, obviously we're getting to you, <laughs> but we don't want to ask for it. I don't want to have to take care of broken windows and things like that. But it doesn't necessarily hurt my feelings either. I'm just saying, ah, we're making an impact out here. I mean, just I, I, there's all kinds of other things, things that I don't even want to mention, just gross stuff that people do always at our church. And because when you're doing something for God, it is it's going to put a target on your back when you do that. Satan is going to be he's going, he's going to gun for you. He's going to go after you. He's going to go after the families in our church a little more than families in the places where there is no wheat, because. That's where he does his work at. And I believe that this is the kind of church that God wants. I believe we're preaching the truth here at this church. I believe we have God's people here. There are saved people here. And it is clear in the Bible that Satan is going to try to do a work here too. And the way he does it, he sows tares among the wheat. I don't know who, you know, like I said, I don't know who they are. I'm not trying to peg anybody. I'm not trying to say anything about some people that are here or people that are not here. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And just, you know, I've heard, I've heard some people say, based on John chapter 6, verse 70, that maybe it's 1 in 12 that are saved in the church. Anybody think why, why 1 in 12? Judas Iscariot. In John chapter sixty or John chapter six verse seventy, Jesus answered them, "Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil?" He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Judas, Bible, Jesus said he's a devil, and Jesus knew he had one in in the midst that was bad. But Judas, though, he was one of them that Jesus sent out. He was one that preached. Judas, more than likely, we don't see, we don't read about any of them specifically in the Bible, but all the other disciples were doing miracles. You know, I want, I think it would have been kind of noticeable if there was one among them that was not able to do any miracles. I almost wonder if maybe Judas did a few miracles that maybe Satan gave him the ability to do to deceive the disciples. I heard a story one time about a lady. I may have told this one before that. Uh, she had cancer and was going. She was gonna die, and the Christian Science group got a hold of her. And the Christian scientists, they do not believe in pain or sickness; that it's all that's all mental and spiritual. And they got her in her group and were telling her, you know, about that. And 
They, she started getting into all of their stuff and her cancer was gone. She didn't have cancer anymore. And you know, of course, they thought, hey, it's this Christian science stuff. It's right. It works. And of course, they're all excited about it. Well, a while later, somebody comes along and shows her the true Gospel. And she got saved. Well, not long after she got saved, her cancer was back. And she was going to die. And the Christian Science Group, they found out about it. They came back to her and see, we were the ones that were right. When you were with us, your cancer went away. Now that you're with them Baptists, you've got, you've got your cancer back. This proves that we're right. And she said it proves nothing. She said that I believe that Satan healed me. She said, I did. I believe Satan healed me. She said, but you know, I've heard the truth and I might have cancer now, but I'm saved and I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. And she died with cancer. But you know what? I believe Satan can do some miracles like that. And sometimes too, we can look and the people in the church, they're doing great, they're doing great things. They might even be winning people to Christ. They might be, I mean, they could be doing all kinds of wonderful works, just blessing everybody in the church. But that makes it all the more damaging when Satan finally reveals himself in those people. I mean, we see that Jesus, even though he knew that one of them was a devil, when Judas came and betrayed him with a kiss, Jesus made that statement, Judas, betrayest thou me with a kiss? It hurt Jesus when Judas betrayed him. It it bothered him. You know, sometimes you know you see that happen all the time in churches where somebody will just totally I mean stab the preacher in the back and just totally you know go against them and it breaks their heart you know sometimes I'm like hey that just comes with the territory that's just part of it it happened to Jesus it's going to happen to you too but you know what hey it still hurts it hurt Jesus even though he knew it was coming and it hurts churches all the time when Judas is get in the midst. When they come, and they're going to be there. Satan even had a plant with one of Jesus' disciples. And there is no reason in the world to think that He cannot do it here. But also in Matthew, and this is kind of where I get the, you know, this is just another area where I get the 50% from. And I don't, I'm not, it's just if I had to put money on it. If there was really money on the line. But Matthew chapter 24 in verse 40, Matthew 24 and verse 40, says, Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. Talking about the rapture. you got two people. Two people working together. They're probably friends. They're probably close. I mean, you would think if one of them saved, the other one would be more likely to be saved, wouldn't you? If you got two women in the kitchen, uh, or, or the grinding in the mill, I believe it's probably talking about a kitchen, you would think that the, hey, these two women, they're probably close friends, they're probably even family. If one of them saved, the other one would be more likely to be saved. That's what we would all think. But we see here in both of these examples, one's taken, one's, one's left. And... And then too, just based on, I mean, just if, if you were to go into many churches today and talk and get the testimonies of everybody in that church, there's a good chance a big percentage of those people will tell you about how they 
made a profession at one time, but later realized they weren't saved. But they sat in church for a long time, lost, didn't they? So, and so, I mean, there, it's just, it is so possible, and it is so likely, and it, it's, we see it all the time, that people sit in church for years being lost. And that's the most important thing we've got to have if we're going to be able to do something for Christ. People need to have the Holy Spirit inside them. They need to be saved. And I, part, and I believe that the reason that churches today are not having revival is because those tares, they're there for a reason, alright? They're not just there to sit there so, you know, the pastor can look and think, hey, alright, good, we got, we got a full crowd and make them feel good. No, they're there to do something. They're there to cause problems. They're, they're there to hurt. And what's happening is the saved are being influenced by the tares. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 4, says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Many times, or just all the time, what's happening in churches today, one thing's being preached from the pulpit, but another thing is being preached from the pews. Many people today, and this is this is a part of our culture, especially with teenagers. I mean, it just it blows my mind. It used to drive me crazy when I was a youth director. You know, I said, "All right, you know, we got this youth activity, you know, coming up. You know, you know, I need I need to find out who all's going, who all's coming. You know, can I get a show of hands?" And everybody had to look around first before they raised their hand. It's like make a decision without looking at your friend. Why do you have to find out what they're doing first? I mean, good night. I mean, some people they can't even pick an outfit for Sunday without calling up their friends and finding out what they're going to wear first. It's like make a decision, all right? And the truth is, we are so influenced by everybody, and they will people will hear a message. Maybe that maybe it's on a specific sin. Maybe the pastor's seeing, hey, well, people are having so many problems because of this sin that's going on in the church, and he'll just get up, and preach the Bible on. It. I mean, just let it rip. I mean, he'll call it out, name it. You all need to get rid of this. You need to get this out of your life. You need to repent of this sin. And boy, invitation time comes and they know, boy, I need to go. I need to give that up. I need to go to the altar. I need to get that right. But you know what they do? They look, they're looking around at what their friends are doing. They're looking around what what's everybody else doing? And there's a very strong possibility that the very people that they are looking at are tares among the wheat. I mean, nine times out of ten, when people will not, when you show somebody from something clearly from the Bible and they won't do it, it's not because they don't believe the Bible. It's because of their friends in the church. Well, you don't know what people are saying in the church. What people? Are they tares? Because the Bible says, "He that saith I know him, and keepeth not his commandments." Is a liar. You could you go to any person in the church and that's causing problems, that's saying things against the Bible, that's saying things against the preacher, and just ask them, hey, you know what? Are you even saved? <laughs> well, of course I'm saved. And they'll go and boy, they can give you a testimony, they can quote the scriptures, but everything they say and everything they're doing goes completely against the Bible. It goes completely against what the Word of God says. And people are listening to them over and over again. The pastor, he'll get up, he'll preach against that rock music. 
You need to get rid of that. And kids, they got to look around. Their friends, what are you going to do? I've seen it. You take them to youth conferences and stuff. And it's like, if one goes to the altar, they all go to the altar. But if none, if you know, they they all wait for that one. They all do what everybody else does. And I mean, I've seen that even too with you know professions of faith. It's like they gotta wait and see what the other person's gonna do. Oh, they're doing it. Right, I'll do it too. I'm telling you, it's gotta be the Holy Spirit drawing you, not a tear drawing you. I worry about these churches and these places where they do these big things and they have these. Mass groups all come up to say a prayer together. Listen, especially with young people, they will do anything together in a group. They they will they will do anything. I mean, you see what goes on at some of these. You know, you get a whole bunch of people together, especially teenagers. And I don't know why I'm picking on teenagers tonight. They're just fun to pick on. You know, kids. But they will do anything. You get I me, mean, even kids. You get a group of kids, and you can make anything exciting with a group of kids. If you have if you have the right personality, all right, kids. You know we're going to, tonight for King's kids. We're going to go outside and we're just going to roll around and have race in the ground, rolling across the yard to see who can roll the fastest. I mean, they're going to get all excited about that. That's stupid. All right, that's boring. It's going to get you all dirty and scratched up. But they would love it as long as everybody else was doing it. You know, and people will do anything in a group. I've heard stories. A friend of mine got saved. Uh, you know, later in life, he was telling me you know, before he got saved, he'd go to some of these rock concerts and get in what they called a mosh pit. I never even heard of that. I'm like, what? What is that? And he's like, they get the music all playing and get it going. You know, certain kind of music. You know, with certain crazy behavior, you got music is always certain music is always involved. And they pretty much get two groups on opposite sides, and they all just run into each other. And I said, why? <laughs> He didn't really have an explanation. He said he never did it, but he watched one one time, and he almost got really hurt because somebody pushed him in into one, and he was getting knocked around. And everything he said he almost got hurt bad, uh, and people have gotten seriously hurt in those things. You know why? Because people will do anything if enough people are doing it, and you know why? There's just some of the crazy things that are going on with God's people in churches today is because there is enough tares in there that they can influence people in a great way. And I'm afraid today that tares many times are leading the church. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in His name, He's in the midst. Where two or three are gathered in His name. And it's like, hey, okay, even in a church of a hundred, alright, if 40% of them are saved, that's a lot more than two or three. Why is nothing done? Well, I think maybe it's because we have to be the majority. Maybe there's got to be two out of three. I don't know why I said two or three. But maybe two out of the three has got to be saved. Two out of three have got to be in agreement. And we're not. And the truth is, people today will listen so much. To their friends because of what they what they say, not what the Bible says. And the challenge to you is not to go around trying to figure out who's saved and who's lost. This is what God's supposed to do. Because okay, He's warned us that there's going to be wheat or there's going to be tares among the wheat. All right, this if God's doing work here, Satan's going to do a work here too. How are we? we none of us are experts on it. We're not going to know until the fruit is shown 
who the wheat and the tares are or until the harvest comes and when God gathers up His wheat from among the tares. I've heard too that it's said that one of the reasons he in that parable, He said not to remove the tares. Later they started figuring out that He said because it would take the wheat with them. Do you know what would happen in most churches if the pastor started removing everybody that was causing trouble and contradicting the Bible, it's going to take a bunch of weed out with them, isn't it? Hey, maybe he knows. Find out, hey, Brother Menez, he's sowing discord among the brethren. I find out and I confirm that he's telling lies to the people that he is totally going against the Bible. Like, we got to get him out of here. But Brother Menez, I got, he's got friends in the church. I throw him out. Not only is he going to be gone, he's taking his whole family with him, and they might be weak. He might take a few friends in the church with him, and you know what? We can't really just go and try to pick it out and start throwing them out because we'll take the wheat with them. So what are we supposed to do? We're not supposed to try to just eliminate them and take care of them. God's going to separate it all. In the end, in His return, the wheat and the tares are going to be separated. God's going to do that. What are we supposed to do? We've got to just make sure that we don't listen to anyone who contradicts the Bible. Romans 3.4 says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome them when thou art judged. That's got to be our attitude when it comes down to everything across the board. Alright, what does the Bible say about it? Let God be true. And it says, and every man a liar. Now, I mean, now this might come out wrong, and it might, it might sound terrible, but I think you'll I think you'll know what I'm talking about. But the way the way that we ought to look at it, anytime you're reading the Bible, and I'm not saying you even necessarily have to say it this way, but you're reading the Bible. Maybe you're having family devotions. You show your kids, hey, look, this is what the Bible says. This, but hey, but you know what? Brother Lonnie in the church, he said something different than that. Brother Lonnie's a liar. What? <laughs> Hey, well, Pastor Tommy said this. Well, he's a liar. Brother Sean said, "Hey, Brother Sean's a liar." You know, Brother Sean's a liar. What are you saying? We should tell our kids that everybody in the church is liars? Hey, so what, you know, there's something wrong. With that. No, but that's that's our ad. That should be the way we look at things. When the Bible says one thing and somebody else says another thing, well, that's just because they're a liar. Every man a liar. That includes us too. Hey, I've said things before that I thought were true. Found out it wasn't. And you know what I was doing? I was lying. <laughs> oh, you didn't you didn't mean to, you didn't know you're lying. Yeah, but I still was. Do you know what you call a person? Or you know the uh the word, the letters E R, that is a suffix. Which means he who does. So you can take any verb and you add er to that, and it's one who does that, you know, like liar or murderer or you know a stealer or whatever. You that's that's one who does that. So if you've lied, you are a liar, aren't you? Okay. And that's and so the, what, what I'm trying to say is. We've got to just learn to tune out a lot of what we hear and focus in on what the Bible says. Say, well, 
Brother Sean said this, and that's what the Bible says. Well, it's because the Bible's true. Not because he's truthful, but because the Bible's true. Pastor Tommy said this, yeah, that, that it lines up with the Bible. Well, it's not because Brother Tommy's truth, it's because the Bible is truth. Because God's Word is true. And that's why we verify everything. That's why God commended the Bereans in the book of Acts because they, boy, they received the Word. I mean, they were ready to hear the Gospel, but they always searched the Scriptures to make sure the things were so because men are liars sometimes, even when we're not trying to be. Let God be true and every man a liar. That sounds terrible, calling people a liar. Well, every man's a sinner, aren't they? We don't get offended by that. Sinner. One who sins. And sometimes we can lie. Sometimes we can, you know, we're just getting things wrong and we're lying and we don't know it. People do that. And we've got to get over this thing of just going off of what people are saying or even what certain preachers are saying and say my focus is on what the Bible is saying. Now I'm not telling you you need to go tell your kids that people in the church are liars. okay? But I hope you get what I'm trying to say is that that's the attitude. Let God be true and every man a liar. You know, I want to teach my kids that hey, Dad's not always right, but the Scripture is always right. If they only focus on what I tell them, it's not going to be... If, if, if what I'm telling them goes along with the Bible, they're going to be okay in a lot of areas, but I'm not going to be 100%. I'm going to mess things up. They need to be dependent on what the Word of God says. They need to learn to go and find out what the Bible says because it's it's tough out there. There are so much lies out there, it's real easy to tell a lie and not know that you're lying. In a church, no matter how good the church is, no matter what their constitution says, no matter what their doctrine is, they're teaching in that church, there's probably going to be tares that are among the wheat and we are just too influenced by people these days, and we've got to allow all our influence to come from the Word of God. And it's going to be a lot easier, and you're going to be a lot better off when you're in a church that's preaching the truth, when you have people that, that are weak in the church, but it's not going to be 100%. We can't guarantee it. There's not a parent in here that's... You've been wrong before, haven't you? You've made mistakes before. It doesn't mean your kids shouldn't listen to you anymore. But what it does mean is that we've got to make sure that we teach everyone to focus on what is definite, what is solid, and what is true. And then when they start hearing all those other things, they're going to come. When we start having problems because of a certain sin, and the Word of God gets preached on what that says, it's going to be a lot easier for them to tune out what everybody's saying and what everybody's doing and get them focusing on the Scriptures. You know what I hear all the time? And this drives me crazy. When somebody will preach on a certain subject against a certain sin, and you know what I've heard many people will say? Well, what about... But this preacher does it. They'll start naming off preachers. So? Didn't you see what the Bible? Didn't you hear? Didn't you notice those scriptures that he brought up? Look what the Bible says about that. Who cares what preacher's okay with it? Look at what the Bible says. Why we we let that focus us? And listen, as a pastor, I got to be careful. I want to have a good testimony. You know, I I I need to be a good influence because people sometimes 
are going to go off of what I do and not what the Bible says, but that's only going to get them so far. Hey, if you just follow me, you're only going to make it so far. But you follow the Scriptures, it's unlimited. And that's where we've where we've got to focus because we don't know. It might be half the people here today. Hey, your pastor might be the one that's lost. As far as you're concerned. I believe I'm saved with all my heart. But as far as you're concerned, I could be a tear that's been sown among the wheat. There's lost pastors out there. There's pastors that have gotten saved before. And so what you've got to make sure you do is not base your life on what you hear me say, but what the Word of God says. And then you'll be okay. If I get up here and I start preaching some crazy doctrine, you're going to be able to make it past that. It's not going to deceive you because you know what the Word of God says. And you'll know to go get out, you know, to get out of this mess and to go somewhere else that's preaching the truth. You'll know to do that because your focus is on the Word of God. It will protect you. So, stay, that verse, let God be true and every man a liar. That's the focus we've got to have. So let's all stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.